Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, that is Jacob, his other name. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a long robe with sleeves. Let's say a parenthesis there. Hebrew may mean that, or it may mean a coat of many colors, but uh, we'll leave that there. It was the kind of coat that a prince would wear. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this. <laughs> this is this dream that I've dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. And thus begins the biblical account of Joseph, who from this moment on was six degrees, one degree at a time, well, where God would get him. Let's pray together for a moment. Lord, we thank you for these ancient but living words. And I pray this morning that by your spirit and through your word, they would leap off these pages and beyond the letter of the law, would become wonderful words of life for every one of us here. And that we might leave here with the confidence that in your purposes, whatever is happening to us, we can be one degree closer to where you wish us to be. Even in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Now, you may have heard the phrase, six degrees of separation. It was the name of a Broadway play in 1990 and then a, a movie in 1993 starring uh, Will Smith and Stockard Channing. What you probably don't know is where that phrase came from. Stanley Milgram was a sociologist at Harvard University. And back in 1967, a world ago, he had a hunch and that is no one person is that many other persons away from knowing someone else. So he devised an experiment. Now that experiment involves something that some of you don't even know existed. It was called a postcard. Yeah, anybody remember postcards? Well, he gave postcards little pieces of paper with a stamp on it to 30 people anonymously, randomly chosen in Omaha, Nebraska, in the American West. 
And he said, send these to somebody anonymously chosen in Boston in the Northeast. Well, obviously not one of those 30 people knew the person in Boston, so he said, send it to someone who might know someone who might know someone. And he found out that only average, a person randomly chosen in Omaha, Nebraska, was only six people away from knowing someone randomly chosen in Boston, and hence six degrees of separation. <laughs> now that was before Facebook. <laughs> they projected on Facebook any one person is only four people away from knowing anyone else. The billion people on Facebook. You know, that works out in different ways. I don't know President Joe Biden, but I know somebody who knows him. So I'm a degree away from him. The other day at the big summit meeting, uh, he met the queen, so I'm just two degrees away from the queen. <laughs> I guess I could show up and say, hi, queen. <laughs> when we come to the life of Joseph, we come amazingly to someone who was six degrees away from where God wanted to get him. Now, in case your Josephology is a little bit <laughs> ambiguous, let me give you a Cliff Notes digested synopsis of his enormous life in this book, <laughs> at least the first part of it. First of all, he was 17 years old. He was the son of Jacob and his favorite wife, Rachel, the son of his old age that we read. He was sent to check on his half-brothers, as it were, that were keeping the flock, and he came back and snitched on them. He told his father they were not doing right. That angered them, and when he went back again, they threw him in a pit. But that very pit put him one degree closer to what God had for him. And then some Midianite slave traders came, and they decided, well, instead of, we'll just sell him, and they took him down the highway to Egypt but that made him one degree closer to where God wanted to get him. A man named Potiphar bought him. It's not a very encouraging name. He was Pharaoh's main jailer. His name literally means Mr. Slaughter. <laughs> that couldn't have encouraged him a great deal. But he was one degree closer to where God wanted to get him. Remember Mrs. Potiphar? Mrs. Potiphar chased him around the house. I think she was a member of the original cast of the Desperate Housewives. I don't know what happened, but... But he got thrown back in jail when she cried rape, even though he'd been righteous. But he was one degree closer to what God had for him because God put in that jail two VIP prisoners that were one degree away from Pharaoh, the butler and the baker. And he interpreted their dream and he was one degree closer to what God had for him. And then <laughs> that day came when Pharaoh had a dream, seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, you remember? And he was there. You count them up. Six degrees. One at a time. This message, I'm convinced, whether you're here or listening beyond here somewhere, has somebody's thumbprint on it. Because you are one degree from the next thing God has for you. This is not just the story of Joseph. 
It's the story of your life under God. He can move you one degree at a time <laughs> to where he wants to get you. And you, you say, how do you know that? Well, you, you don't know me, but I know the Lord Jesus. He knows the Father, and the Father knows the butler and the baker and the candlestick maker. <laughs> he knows the Pope and the Quaker. He knows the fat cat, the alley cat. He knows and he knows how to get you one degree. Now, let me open this up for you just a moment. First of all, he can get you one degree closer regardless of how you got in the mess you're in right now. Some of us have a PhD in messology. <laughs> that happened to Joseph. And I wonder if Joseph didn't wonder sometime, what did they do to me and what did I do that got me into this mess? You see, all messes are caused by one or the other or both of those things. Are you tracking with me? <laughs> and that is somebody else does something to you or you do something to yourself. And both were true of him. First of all, some things were done to him and he had nothing to do with them. First one, he was born into the family of Jacob. Now, if you know the story of Jacob, Jacob is one of the most undesirable characters anywhere in the Old Testament. I almost want to call him Jacob the Jerk. I mean, everything about him until that night when he met God. Well, he didn't get a vote in that. We don't get a vote in where we come from in that regard. It's handed to us. It's a given. And being the son of David, the trickster, the scam artist, always up to some kind of sting, that complicated life for Joseph. But then you add to that... <laughs> Uh, Jacob's home situation. You remember that? He didn't get a choice about that. You know, he, he, you, know you remember the story, uh, Rachel <laughs> and Leah and seven years and two wives. And then if that was not enough, both of them gave to Jacob their handmaid, Bilhah and Zilpah, to sleep with. So there were 12 kids in one tent with four mothers. You don't have to have a PhD in family dynamics to know that was done to him. But also, uh, it was done to him that he was the object of his father's favoritism. You know, some people don't want anything from their own lives. Jacob's life had been ruined because of favoritism. When Rebekah had favored him over Esau and created that cleavage, you know, Somebody says people don't know the first rule of holes, H-O-L-E-S, and that is when you're in one, stop digging. <laughs> he was in it, and it just got deeper. And generationally, what had been done to his father, his father did to him. Those things were done to him. But then he did things to himself. Don't we all? First of all, he was a snitch. Now, if you're taking notes... You may want to write this valuable insight down. People don't like snitches. <laughs> I preach at the Allen Temple Baptist Church in Oakland, California from time to time with its great pastor, J. Alfred Smith, Sr. Uh, it's a great African-American church in the Bay Area, but it's in the third most dangerous city in America, and it sits on the most dangerous street in that city, International Boulevard. There was a young man who had been uh, in prison, 
Dr. Smith, because he was a friend of the governor, got him out so that he could come and earn his equivalent of a high school degree in a program at the church. He was sitting in a room at the church where he got a text message from an old girlfriend, come out and see me. I'm outside, come out and see me. Finally, the teacher let him go out and there is a blue wall at that church with a gold cross and right under that cross, his old gang shot him dead. And the reason they did is that they didn't think he could get out of jail without being a snitch. Well, that's how Joseph's brothers felt. He did that to himself. You know, John Calvin, the reformer, made an interesting statement about our tongues. He said, God wanted us to control them enough that he put two guards in front of them, our lips and our teeth. <laughs> Joseph hadn't learned that. But there was something else he hadn't learned. He hadn't learned that you can't tell the dreams that God has given you to other people until they're ready to hear them. You know, some people want to go out and tell their dreams the minute God gives them. <laughs> well, these dreams, you can imagine his brothers already hated him and now he's got them all bowing down to him. He told his dreams. It's like casting your pearls before swine, giving what is holy. Not everybody's ready to hear the latest thing God gave you. Did you get the picture? There were things that were done to him, and there were things that he did to himself. And I sure, looking in the rearview mirror, he tried to figure that out. Now, you remember in London, the Millennium Bridge, the Millennial Bridge, January 1, 2000, when the people got on it, what happened? It began to wobble. You know, they said they'd been engineered, but it wobbled. They got all the people off. Next, they let them on 25 at a time. It still wobbled. And part of figuring that out was, did the people make the bridge wobble, or did the bridge make the people wobble, or was it just a wobbling mess? Come close to me. Somebody listening to me. You're in a mess, a difficulty. And you can't figure out what you did or what was done to you. The gospel is good news because the gospel is a word of grace and grace means you don't have to figure everything out for God to get you one step closer to what he wants for you. Now somebody here today is in the paralysis of analysis. You're trying to figure out in my life who did it to me and what did I do? Now let me tell you, that's a receding loss. David himself said, who can understand his trespasses? That's why the apostle Paul, having met Christ, said, forgetting those things that are what? Behind, I press forward. Grace means you don't have to figure it out. God can get you one degree closer. Thank God for grace. Oh, wait a minute. Let's lean into this another way. <laughs> Sometimes you do what's right, <laughs> and it turns out wrong anyway. Here's Joseph. He's in the pit. He's sold to the Midianite slave traders. He's taken to Egypt. He's bought by Mr. Potiphar. Now, Joseph has the hand of God on his life, and you see this over and over. Everything that Joseph touches turns to gold. <laughs> Things have never been better at Potiphar's house. Stocks, bonds, 
bonds up, stocks up, real estate's up. So Potiphar says, here, Joe, here. Here's my platinum American Express card. Here's the key to the safety deposit box. Here's the key to my Bentley or my whatever he drove, Lamborghini. Here's, here, here's every password to everything I've got on the internet. I'm out of here. <laughs> You're in charge of everything except Ms. Potiphar. That's all right with Joe. He's 17 years old. He'll said he's in charge of everything and God's blessing. But you know the story. Day in and day out. Genesis 39, say Ms. Potiphar chased him around the house. She needed to join a 12-step group or something. I don't know what she needed, but she, chasing him. And so it really is almost funny. He's in the house, she chases him out. He's outside, she chases him in. Lie with me. And you know, it, it would have been plausible. If you study Egyptology, if you study the Roman Empire, it wouldn't have been all that unusual for him to slip with Miss Potiphar. It might have helped him where he wanted to go. But instead, he said, I will not sin against God. Did anything to do with Miss Potiphar. I will not sin against God. Well, he did the right thing and it turned out wrong. Grabbed his garment. She did, held it up. Rape! And all of a sudden, he's in prison. I wonder if I'm talking, I know I'm speaking to somebody. And you say, you know, I... I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, ascended to the right hand of God. I've been faithful to his church. <laughs> I've done what he wanted me to do. And things still have not turned out right. That's what happened to Joseph. We need to understand that faithfulness to God's will in your life is not necessarily a get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> our Lord himself, our Lord himself, did he not do exactly perfectly what was right? And he was handed a cross. But you see, <laughs> let me put it this way. Does anybody here remember the child's toy in the States, we called it Mr. Bozo. I don't know what he was called here. Mr. Bozo was 46 inches tall. You would f inflate Mr. Bozo, and you could hit him as hard as you wanted to hit him. And what would Mr. Bozo do? Come right back up. When I was in the third grade, about nine years old, my pals and I decided we were going to make Mr. Bozo stay down. So we hit him, we all hit him. I hate to say it, Colin, we took a baseball bat and hit him. And nothing could keep Mr. Bozo down. Well, we decided to do some forensic surgery on Mr. Bozo. And it was a very deflating experience for him. But what happened? We found out he had something in him that we didn't know about. There was a ballast. And that ballast meant whatever happened to him, came back up. When you know the Father, when you do what's right and it turns out wrong, you can find out by the grace of God, you're back. Now let me tell you something about that pit where they threw him and that prison where he went. Even though that looked like the end, do you know what was in that pit and that prison with Joseph? 
the rest of this story. Moses, 400 years later, was in that pit in prison. The Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, was in that prison. The manna and the water from the rock was in that prison. The rest of Hebrew history was in that prison. But he didn't know it. I want to cheer somebody today, encourage somebody. You're in a pit. You're in a prison. Believe me, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. The rest of what God is going to do is right there with you. And you say, well, how do you know that, Joel? Well, lean into this another way. And that is God is putting people in your future that you don't even know about to get you one degree closer. Got to say that again. God's putting people in your future. You don't even know about it to get you one degree closer. Here he is. And there's two VIP prisoners. Now, the, the, the prison's blessed again. Here's Joseph, can't keep him down. Prisoners calmer than they've ever been. There's an irony in this. Potiphar's own jailer gives Joseph the keys. <laughs> and he says, I'm off on a vacation. You take care of the prisoners. And while he's on holiday, Joe's in charge. And they, you know the story. It's a Sunday school story. Baker, the cupbearer, and the baker come in. They have a dream. Nobody can interpret their dream. And Joseph says, I can. What's your dream, Mr. Butler? Maybe butler, maybe cupbearer. What's your dream, Mr. Baker? Remember, they told him the dream, and Joe said, well, cupbearer, three days, you're going to be back in favor. But Mr. Baker, I hate to tell you, three days from now, you're not going to have a head. <laughs> and it came to pass. As the baker was leaving, Joseph reached in his pocket and got out his business card. It's a pretty short card. It said, Joseph, dream interpreter. <laughs> and he said, when you get back to Pharaoh, would you give him my card? Now, this is a loose translation, church. But would you give him my card and tell him I shouldn't be here? Did you ever help somebody and they forgot you helped them? That is, when you were up and they were down... You helped them, and when they got up and you were down, they forgot you. I bet somebody's listening to me. You've opened your, your, your purse, your billfold, your money clip, your home, your own reputation to vouch for them when you were up and they were down, and when they got up and you were down, they forgot you. Oh, I've had that experience. I, I could write a book about it. I did write a book about it, and that is help some of the most significant religious leaders in America get into the position they got into, and then the hardest time in my life, they didn't even remember I existed. But you know what? God even uses that. Yes, he does. You can see that at the cross. Here's Jesus dying on the cross. Did you ever wonder, where is everybody? Why isn't Lazarus there saying, look, he raised me from the dead? Why isn't blind Bartimaeus there saying, my eyes are open because of him? <laughs> Where's the woman at the well? It wasn't that far off. Where were they? The people that should have been there weren't there. The mockers were there. Remember, ha, if you're the son of God, come down. He'd already come all the way from heaven. They wanted him to come three more feet. <laughs> but guess what God did? There was a centurion there. 
And he said, surely this is the son of God. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus said, give me his body. There was a Joseph Arimathea said, I've got a tomb. You see, let me tell you something. When some people forget you, God has others who remember you. You can write it down <laughs> in the strangest way. There was a time in my own life when uh, I'd gone away from a very large church and I was publishing some and preaching some. Because in the publishing business in the States, you have to go to New York rather often. And late one February night, icy cold, my plane was delayed getting into Newark, New Jersey airport. About two in the morning, we finally landed. I got off that plane, <laughs> tired and hungry, and I did something I've never done anywhere else in probably a thousand flights. I grabbed my bag, I went to the first cab or taxi in the line, and I said, take me to the closest hotel, I don't care where it is. Took me to an old Ramada Inn near the end of a runway. He <laughs> said, so here it is. I went up and I got the last room. And then I saw a grill off the, off the lobby, and I saw somebody was eating something. I sat down next to him, I said, give me whatever he has, I'm about to start. I didn't know anybody in New York. Out of the back of that grill came a voice, Dr. Gregory. Now, you may not know about Newark, but the first thing I wanted to do was hold my hands up. <laughs> Dr. Gregory, a tall, handsome, 30-something-year-old African-American man walked up to me and said, I'm Joe Carter, pastor of the New Hope Missionary Baptist Church in Newark, New Jersey. He said, today, I just finished reading your autobiography. And he said, it's strange to see you here. And I was thinking, he don't know how strange this is. <laughs> it was a divine appointment. He's been my friend for 25 years. We've worked together in the United States. It matters of racial justice and equity with Reverend Al Sharpton, who I'd never met unless I knew Joe. We've preached together. He's on my board now. It was a time, now come close to me. I'm, I'm giving you a testimony in the middle of this sermon. <laughs> when other people had totally forgotten me, God put somebody in my life that would change everything. Yeah. I want you to understand this. Somebody here today, I don't know who it is. It may be someone next to you on transportation, public transportation. It may be someone in the flat across from you. It may be someone at the laundry across the cab. Anywhere God can put somebody in your life that can change everything for you. And it puts you one degree closer to what he has for you. I'm sure if we had a testimony meeting here, some of you could stand up right now and testify. So that's exactly what's happened to me. But just a minute. <laughs> what God does, he can sometimes do suddenly. Life must have been slow for Joseph from the pit to the prison. But after two years, <laughs> the cupbearer got over his amnesia when the most powerful man in the world had a dream. <laughs> and he said, ah, 
I sinned against the guy I was in. You remember when you put me in jail, Mr. Pharaoh? Yeah, well, he, you've got a dream interpreter. Now, Pharaoh had a dream that to me wouldn't have been that hard to figure out. He, Pharaoh may not have been the brightest bulb. Seven fat pounds, seven guinea cows, seven ears of corn, seven ears of... Anyway, nobody could help him. He called his astrologers, his soothsayers. He, he called that lady with the toll-free number on TV that entered... Well, I can't, what was her name? Sister Cleo, she interpreted dreams, you know. Nobody could tell him. And suddenly, suddenly, the man who forgot Joseph remembered him. I like to dream once. It says here that Joseph shaved and he put on a bright toga. Suddenly, there was a knock at his door and he's standing in front of the most powerful man in the world. Don't you understand this? Sometimes what God does in life evolves slowly. It's like that mustard seed that grows. But other times, when he needs to, he can do it suddenly. And never be so cynical that he can't do it suddenly. Our gospel opens, what? In Luke, with the infant narrative, there are shepherds out keeping their sheep. That was slow and dull all night long. But suddenly there was with an angel an army singing. And what about Pentecost? There were those 120 wondering about that risen Lord and his promise, and suddenly there was a rushing sound like wind and fire. I want to encourage you. There's somebody in the sound of my life that God is getting ready to do it. Suddenly. Don't discount what he can do to get you the last degree to where he wants you. Now here's Pharaoh, this is kind of funny. Um, Pharaoh calls his HR department and says, you know, I've got to have somebody administer a national food program. And they text him back and they say, uh, your majesty, dummy, he's right in front of you. <laughs> and suddenly Joseph becomes the second most powerful person in the most powerful empire on the planet Suddenly, don't you come close to me. Faith means you believe that at any moment, God can get you one degree closer to what he has for you. Now only the Spirit of God can reveal that to you today. But I believe everyone under the sound of my voice could today get one degree closer to what God has for you. Now, let me say this. We're not here because we worship Joseph. This is not the church of Joseph. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, from ancient Christian times, people have noted the similarity. Here's Joseph from a strange family situation. Jacob, Rachel, Leah, Bilhah, Zilpah, 12 kids. Wouldn't you say the Lord Jesus Christ came from a strange family situation? Virgin born of Mary, younger half-brothers and sisters. <laughs> Joseph had to go to Egypt for his own destiny. <laughs> so did Jesus. And that dream, Joseph and Mary to Egypt. 
It was all a matter of God's timing for Joseph and for Jesus. But here's the good news. Both of them were able to save their family <laughs> because of what God did. Joseph saved the descendants of Abraham. <laughs> Jesus saved a big family called the church. <laughs> You're one degree closer to the next thing God has for you.